0: Your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusik. Hello to Iceland and Denmark. Welcome. (laughs) Fun little story. Ordinary Sherpa ranked in the top 200 in both of those countries last week which is just kind of fun. I've never been to Iceland, but I'm really glad to get to know that my podcast is there. So hello, Iceland. Maybe we'll see each other someday, or maybe you can uh, do a meetup. We can share a cup of coffee or something. Uh, Speaking of that, I should thank there are quite a few people that bought me coffee this week. Those are so much fun. And also those who leave written reviews or even those who are posting in Facebook, the inspiring things that you are doing by adventuring with your families is really fun. I had several written reviews this week. The first one comes from Georgia Treehugger. Adventure for all ages. We really enjoy the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. While our kids are out of school, the podcast has made us realize we need to continue adventuring no matter what age the kids and we are. The podcast has also reminded us to take a look at the great opportunities close to home. Thank you. Well, thank you, Georgia Treehugger. I'm so glad this podcast is reminding you that there's really no minimum age. Or really age out clause for adventure. Our second review comes from Kyle and Erin. Nothing ordinary about it. And they write, My husband and I came to Ordinary Sherpa and we love it. Heidi has so many great tips for families and a great list of interesting and exciting guests. You have to check out all the fun things she has to offer too, like adventure challenges and more. Highly recommend. Yay. Thank you, Erin and Kyle. A written review is just one of those ways that you it's almost like closing the feedback loop where you can let me know what you're getting out of the show. So if you would consider adding your thoughts or adding some ideas or questions, a key takeaway, any of those things are just really helpful. We're two weeks away from celebrating our one year anniversary. So you know, this is a major goal of mine. If you want to leave a written review, go to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash review. We are also nearing the final stage of the Fall Everyday Adventure Challenge, and the challenge this week was impossible. What adventure is something that inspires you but feels impossible? And we took various approaches to break that down into possibility. And ironically, through hiking, the Appalachian Trail is one of those things that just seems impossible to me. I've researched the idea of hiking it, and just to give you some context for today's episode... Here's some facts about the AT with a link to the source cited below. It's a REI article that I was referencing. The Appalachian Trail is just under 2,200 miles. It crosses 14 states, and it is the equivalent of hiking Mount Everest 16 times. The trail was created in 1937 but has been rebuilt over 90 times thanks to the crew of 241,936 volunteers in a given year. An average hiker needs to consume about 5,500 calories a day, and most consume a half gallon of ice cream at the halfway point. They also typically go through about four to five pairs of shoes. I just find this fascinating. I, I was often asked when I would run marathons, like, why do you do it? And it doesn't really make sense until you're in the moment. And so I am really pleased and excited to have our guests here today to think through and talk through something that seems impossible with all of us and give us some hope and inspiration. Sometimes there's stories of families doing amazing things that virtually stop you in your tracks. As I was scrolling Instagram one day this summer, I came across a family through hiking the Appalachian Trail. And while I've had several friends who've hiked the AT, the PCT, and even the Continental Divide, I knew the amount of planning, grit, and persistence that's required to make an adventure like this come to life. I have never, however, seen a four-year-old complete such a task. Harvey Sutton is the youngest person to walk the 2,193.1 miles north from Georgia to Maine. As many listeners have heard, I love a good challenge. And I love it when I see families challenging the status quo. And I didn't want to accept that my adventures needed to stop when I became a mom. So the Sutton family immediately became a story of inspiration for me. I wanted to cheer them on and support them however I could. And so today, I am here with Harvey's parents. Josh and Cassie Sutton to share their story of one amazing and inspiring adventure, giving them a new definition of success by spending seven months in the wilderness, appreciating their time together, and reaching an incredible summit. Josh and Cassie, I'm so honored to have you. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Hey, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Cassie, just tell me a little bit about who is Cassie. Did she just naturally grow up to be an adventurous person, thinking she would hike the Appalachian Trail someday?
1: I don't know. Um, I started out just a um, normal kid. and um, But after I went to college, I decided I needed to go out and give back in some way. And so I found this um, organization that did AIDS prevention work in Africa. And so I moved there, did a little bit of that. And that's where actually Josh and I met each other. And we both just fell in love with adventure and travel. And so um, it just grew from there.
0: Awesome. And Josh, what about you? Were you naturally adventurous? Was this something you kind of imagined yourself doing someday or was this not your traditional path?
2: Well, no, not at all. So I grew up in a large family and I I did do Boy Scouts when I was young. I did one 50 mile trip uh, when I was, I think, 13 years old. I remember thinking to myself, my brother said he would love to hike the Appalachian Trail. I remember thinking to myself, there's no way I would ever want to do that. This is (laughs) tough hiking every day and carrying everything on your back. So I kind of swore I would actually never do it.
0: That's funny. So, how did you? You kind of alluded to it, Cassie. How did you guys meet? And then, how did this like adventure story of your family take off?
1: Like I said, we met in Africa, and um, then moved back here to Lynchburg to kind of start our adults' lives. And we were working really, really hard, just kind of in the rat race of everything. And we read a book called The Four Hour Workweek, and it kind of inspired us to take like miniature retirements throughout our life. And so we. Decided to go to Mount Everest Base Camp. And that kind of sparked this adventure side of us like, oh, this is what our lives are missing. And so we wanted to put more of that into our life.
0: That's awesome. Josh, I would say, you know, there's a really small percentage of people. You kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, Appalachian Trail wasn't necessarily on your bucket list. This is a pretty uncommon path to now consider not just you doing the Appalachian Trail or you and Cassie, but you and Cassie with your small little family, I'm kind of curious, how did you end up with that being the next thing? Was that the next thing after the Everest base camp?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, pretty much that Mount Everest base camp was a spur of the moment thing. And we realized that we loved that. During that time, I've been working in real estate world and Cassie's been working with me. We've been working together really hard and just kind of stuck in the rat race. And then our time, we spent a couple weeks in the Himalayas and we're like, wow, this is amazing. This is really awesome, and we should do more things like this. Then, once we got back home and started working again, we kind of went back to our old ways of the rat race and just kept doing that. Then, as soon as our son was born, we realized that, hey, I don't want to just miss my <laughs> my kids, you know, whole life growing up. And, and it, the really funny story is, everyone kept telling us over and over again, you know, your kids grow so fast. Cherish their time while they're young. Cherish the time with them. Make sure you spend a lot of time with your young kids. So we decided to do this trip and once we told people about it and that that was our goal to do in five years, everyone kind of looked at us with a little bit of disgust. Oh my gosh, you guys are crazy. We're like, we're doing exactly what you told us to do. Spend time together as a family while our kid is young. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of funny to, to see everyone's kind of double take on, on that story.
0: Oh yeah. I have experienced the same thing. I think people, when I you know, we've just done different types of adventures. And I remember I'd be doing like skiing or something it's like you can't ski when you're pregnant. And I was like, why not? Like, the, the, is there a rule like that says I can't ski when I'm pregnant? That It happens. It's so funny how <laughs> people kind of make these rules up in their head about what's allowable and what's not allowable to fill that time. So you had said like there's a timeline of within the next five years. That was when after Harvey was born, that kind of became the timeline then.
2: Well, a little bit. So while we were deciding we needed to do some sort of mini retirement and we kind of made up our mind, we're going to do one at some point point. and we're, we're talking about it. We're trying to think of some sort of adventure because of our trip to the Himalayas. And what came up was um, we were watching a YouTube video about Buddy the Backpacker and he was the current youngest person ever hiked the Appalachian Trail and he was almost six years old when they finished. So we were looking at that, and I'm, I'm a little competitive, and I'm holding this infant <laughs> in my hand. And I quickly did the math and said, hey, you know what? If we go in 2021, he would beat him by like seven, eight months. Um, so, So somehow that became the goal, and we started telling people. And the whole time we were trying to back out of this – I mean the whole time – um, up till almost the last couple of months because we were so scared about leaving work. And and that was really the hard part is trying to figure out what do we do with our business? How do we make this happen? How do we step away from work in our 30s? That's that's really hard. But we told too many people we were going to do it. So we we're kind of stuck.
0: Yeah, it requires you then to take action. Gets out in the universe. Now I feel like people know if I was competitive, feel like, oh, no, now I got to do the thing right that I said I was going to do. So. Help me understand, too, you made this commitment. You kind of have a time horizon, so to speak, of doing this thing when Harvey, well, in 2021. How do you start that? Where do you begin? Is it the training? Is it the lifestyle? It sounds like work and stepping away from work was certainly a fear factor. So kind of walk me through the psychology of like, how did you begin this process of preparing for a seven-month hike?
1: Yeah, I think the main part is it was just kind of a mind change over that we had to do. We had to like figure out what type of work stuff we had to get under control and what we needed to do in the next 3 to 4 years in order to take off for that long. And then also we had to start doing the training for Harvey and for ourselves to be able to hike all day every day. So it was just a step by step like we just broke it all down, watched a lot of YouTube videos on what other people did and just started working hard in our business so that we could really take off that much time.
0: Yeah, and I imagine it was all just rainbows and butterflies, correct?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) You know, one of the things that we noticed first when he was two years old, how much I enjoyed carrying him on my shoulders. And it was just fun because we could go faster. I like to hike fast. So whenever we're on a hike, he'd be like, oh, dad, carry me. So I'd throw him on my shoulders and we could quickly go anywhere. So we quickly learned that that was going to be Probably the biggest challenge at the beginning is how do you uh, train your child not to want to be carried? Right. Um, Cynthia has to walk. You know, when I carry a 50 pound backpack, I'm not gonna be able to carry him as well. So we started out at the park just walking on these little nature trails that are all paved next to a creek. And, you know, we decided that, hey, we're gonna do two miles today. We're gonna do a mile out and a mile back. And we don't care how long it's gonna take us, even if it takes us a whole day. If he needs a break, we'll take a break and throw rocks in the creek, but we're just not gonna carry him. And as soon as, you know, we did that for several months, he just kind of got the hang of it and just never asked to be carried again because he knew that, hey, mom and dad don't carry me. You know, they'll take a break if I'm tired, but I don't get carried anymore.
1: And we'd kind of do that throughout all of life. So if we go to the park or if we go to the mall or go shopping, he just wasn't allowed to be carried. And so Mm -hmm. we just had to take our time and, and do it that way. So I
0: also imagine, though, he can't do the same distances that you could as adults on the trail. So what kind of miles were you looking at as you began to actually get nitty gritty then with the planning of how much you would do each day and where you would camp? Or did you really have to build up his stamina to do the same distances that adults did?
1: Yeah. So on the weekends before we started, we would get up to about 10 miles. And so right before we went we were like okay we're gonna do probably do about six miles a day or so and then we'll just see how it goes from there and so really that's what we kind of figured out to start at and we actually were doing a lot better at the beginning than we thought we would and so we were doing eight to ten miles and he was keeping up and so slowly we just would increase that
2: Yeah, the the summer before we did a big hike to see if we could actually pull this off because we weren't going to do it if we couldn't do 50 miles first. So we did a six day or actually seven days, 50 milers, but we finished in six days. Harvey did better than we expected. That was just under 10 miles a day. And then we did some day hikes where we didn't carry packs. And he actually made a record before we went of 14 miles. So we were pretty confident that he could do eight to 10 miles. And then once we got on trail, once summer hit, We got so used to hiking, he could easily do 15 miles and it wasn't even a hard day for us to do a 15 mile day. Now, other thru hikers with their trail legs were doing 25 to 30 miles, but we felt pretty good about our 15, you know, regularly near the end. I
0: would say so. That's awesome. (laughs) Was there anything concerning you about taking Harvey on the trail? Was there I mean, I am imagining the things you were hearing, like you said, early on from parents or just other people that are like, you can't do that. or you that's not safe? Or did you have any of those fears or things that you needed to worry about or work through in order for him to be safe and come out healthy on the other end?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it was mostly his nutrition. I was really worried that he wasn't going to be getting the right minerals and vitamins and everything. Because when you're through hiking, you really can't eat very well, unless you're constantly shipping yourself boxes. And we didn't really have that option. So... So yeah, I met with his doctor and we talked it all through and she said, it's fine, just give him vitamins and stuff. And so besides that, it, the cold kind of was scary. And so we just practiced. We went out on a couple of practice hikes and overnighters before going that were under 20 degrees. And so we just kind of figured out how to do layers and we just practiced, I guess. And it kind of took away the scariness once you did it a couple of times.
2: Yeah, one of my biggest fears was snakes. So I made us uh, kind of start early because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not too scared about a bear. I mean, bears are big and strong, but I'm also big and strong a little bit. Like you can see a bear coming, you can scare them away, but a snake, you know, you have a four or five year old stick their hand in a bush and get bitten by a, you know, rattlesnake. We're a long way from hospital. So starting early in the wintertime, we started January 13th, which is about two, more than two months before the average through hiker. So we were alone for the first half of the year just because we started so early, but the winter was hard, but you can always layer up, but there were no snakes and we got, we got north, pretty far north before most of the poisonous snakes came out. So that kind of helped a little bit as well.
0: That's funny. I never would have considered my timing around the snakes. So there is a lot, it goes to show, there's a lot that goes into planning such an event. Yeah. What were some of your high points on the trail and um, what are some of the low points where you're like, this, did did we, are we really doing the right thing or today's a zero day, we need a break. Talk me through just when you're on the trail now, what were some of those epic adventure pieces that you're never going to forget and what are some of the lows that really you struggled through?
1: Probably some of the epic adventure for me uh, was Rhone Mountain, which is down in North Carolina or Tennessee, somewhere right on the border right there. And it's just like this big, bald where you can see for miles. And we had a really horrible day the day before. And that day, the sun came out and it was crystal clear and you could see so far. And it was just gorgeous. And I, I felt strong after getting through the horrible day. The day before, it just it poured on us and then it turned to sleet and then turned to snow and it was so cold. Um, So just making it through that, I just felt strong and like, oh my gosh, if I can do that, I can do anything. And so that, that really just opened my eyes to how powerful I was. And I think that's, that's really what I, I gained from this trip was just how strong I am. That's awesome. Any others, Josh, did you have a high?
2: You know what? I, I think it was when we get it, made it to the White Mountains, uh, Cassie's brother showed up to hike the White Mountains up in New Hampshire with us. And and for any of your listeners that know anything about New Hampshire, those mountains are different than any other mountains on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, they decided not to make trails in New Hampshire. They just kind of walked straight up the mountain. So you kind of it's, it's kind of funny. You get to like a wall and you're just like, oh, I don't see where the trail goes. Does it go left? Does it go right? Then you look up and you next thing you know, you, you're climbing a cliff with your hands. But those mountains are really hard, much more difficult than most of the trails. And Cassie's brother came out to hike with us, and he's a school teacher, and he's not necessarily out of shape. So he's a pretty tough, strong 30 year old man. And, and he came out to do five days with us. And after two days with us, he was just beat up. You know, most of the climbs that we had to do, Harvey and us made it to the top of the mountain, probably about 30 minutes before he does on a lot of them. And not because, again, not because anything bad he did, just I didn't realize how strong we were and how we don't need breaks. We can go straight up a mountain and just didn't need breaks because we were so tough. And not just me, but my five-year-old son at the time. And it was just phenomenal to watch, you know, how strong we were because most of the trip all the other thru-hikers were so much faster than us. So I always felt like we were slow. And again, I'm a little competitive. So I'm just like, oh, everyone's passing us all the time. But then I'm like, wait a second, we're really strong. And, and my son was as well. And that was a big high point because he didn't complain at all through the whites. He just had a had a wonderful time. And we were just, we were doing amazing.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the theme of strength kind of came out as a theme from both of your highs.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think th- my low point was actually when we made it halfway, which is kind of funny. I, I thought beforehand, when we make it halfway, I'm going to be like super excited, like we've done it. But when I got halfway, it just like all of a sudden hit me like, oh my gosh, I have to do this again. Mm-hmm. So th- that was probably about a week low point for me that I just had to kind of work through. And it was just a big mental blockage that I had to get through.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. You still are only halfway. <laughs> and <Right>. you're halfway.
1: <laughs> it's like yeah, it's been so many months and I'm only halfway.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did Harvey struggle along the way? I'm you know, I'm just thinking about how hard it is to entertain a kid for a day. I have 3 of them, so I'm speaking with a little bit of empathy here. You know, a day off of school or whatever it is. It's like, "Oh my gosh, you guys, I need 20 minutes to myself." And I'm thinking <laughs> You have seven months where you're not by yourself. So talk through too, like how did Harvey stay entertained and how did you guys stay, I don't want to say sane, but how did you kind of keep your composure or take care of yourself along the way?
1: Oh, yeah, that was probably one of, one of the hard parts if not the hardest part, was just trying to entertain him because we didn't want to do this trip and him to resent us for it. Mm -hmm. And so we went into it that this is his hike and we're going to do whatever it takes for him to have an enjoyable time. And so we played games all day long, every day, all the time. And it was so mentally exhausting. So at first, he would have nothing to do with me. He just like talked to Josh the entire time. And so Josh would play these make-believe games with him. And then about three months in, he kind of switched over to me. And so then I'm playing these big make-believe games where I am a Paw Patrol character and I need Harvey's help to do different things. So it was quite involved. But
2: but it also made the trip in a way that was so difficult on us, but it made it easier when bad weather hit and the rain, you know, really, and it was cold and wet and you're just soaked through. And it the day is just a miserable day we had to entertain our son to make him happy and excited. So our we would be uplifted. I, I would say I was probably the most joyful, and we would sing songs and everything when it's pouring down rain and cold just to make sure his mood stays good. So it really distracted us because when we made it to the shelter at the end of the day and other hikers that are doing the exact same stuff as us were complaining about, oh, that hill was hard, or, oh, that rainstorm was hard, or the wind was tough – you know, I, I would think back, I'm like, oh, I don't even remember that because I was so busy entertaining, you know, our son to distract him from those elements. And so it actually distracted us as well. So even though it was probably the hardest thing we did, it also it really it really helped us get through the whole trip.
0: I can imagine. It's just a distraction, like you said, taking your mind off some of the hard stuff and really focusing on this joyful child that's singing songs and playing games. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it.
2: And and he did way better than we expected. You know, uh, a lot of people complain throughout the trip you know, because it's such a hard journey and only I think like one third of the people that start actually finish. But Harvey did fantastic. Like he just adapted. By the time we were halfway through the the trail, he totally forgot what our house was like. He forgot all of his <laughs> toys he got for Christmas. We probably could have regifted everything. When we got home, uh, it was our house was like a toy store. Everything was new and exciting. It was amazing how he completely forgot about everything. He's just at that age where they don't have that long term memory. And all he knew was waking up every morning, hiking, enjoying, talking with his mom and dad and playing with us and meeting other hikers along the way. And that was normal. So, you know, walking in the rain, walking in the snow, there was no problem with it because that's just what we did. And that's all he can remember us ever doing. So it was was completely normal for him. And he had a good time the whole time. He never once complained about actually hiking.
0: That's amazing. The kids are so resilient. I just, I love hearing stories like this too, because I'm thinking of myself going, gosh, I know I would be whining. I whine (laughs) 10 miles, you know, it's hot, it's buggy, it's whatever. So we're almost to the end, right? You get to that peak, the end of your trail, the two at past, what is it? 2,193.1. Is that correct? That is
2: correct. And it's definitely a peak. One of the hardest mountains is the last mountain, Mount Katahdin. So it, it was a peak actually, and it was pretty exciting.
0: That happens. What does the next day look like? Like how do you ever come down from a seven-month adventure like that?
1: Yeah, it was it's really hard. They have this thing, they call it post-trail depression. Oh. And um, I can definitely say that I felt it and I'm still kind of working through it all. Mm. Um, because there's this just this disconnect between this amazing goal that you have that you're pushing towards, you're pushing towards, and you reach it, and then afterwards it's just like there's nothing. And yeah. <laughs> so like you're super excited but yet you still you feel like there's like this emptiness inside you at the same time.
2: Yeah, it it was definitely tough to finish. The one thing I noticed about being on trail was everyone we met, you know, in the winter we were pretty much alone, but in the in the summertime there are always other hikers around, some slower than us, some faster than us, but there was always a camaraderie where everybody you saw everywhere you went. Was, was there for you. They did the same weather that you just did. They slept at the same places. They hiked over the same mountains, had the same rock scrambles that they had to you know, conquer. And so the camaraderie was amazing. But at the same time, you had some people that were very poor college students that were going into debt trying to hike. And then you had retired people that I'm sure were multimillionaires that were also doing the same journey. But you would never know who Just is who. Just, we're all just there doing the same thing. Everybody's equal and The camaraderie was probably my favorite part of the whole trip. And as soon as we got back from trail and back to real life, you know, we went down uh, a local park and everyone that we passed Harvey was like, Hey, happy trails, happy trails. Cause that's what you say to fellow Mm -hmm. hikers going the opposite direction. And people are jogging, giving us funny looks like, why is this kid talking to me? (laughs) Um, But, but there's, but there's no camaraderie in real life. And that's the one thing I probably missed the most is, just, just that community and camaraderie and and having a focused goal where you don't have to make decisions. We know what to do every day. Um, you wake up, you hike, you don't even have to worry about what you wear. You wear the same clothes every day.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. The simplicity of what's in your pack is what you have. I've heard a lot around the camaraderie of the trail and part of the fun aspect, actually one of the, going back to your ever space camp, one of the motivations really behind this podcast was exactly everything you just talked about was the fact that you have camaraderie from other people willing to take adventures. The whole Sherpa tribe, you know, they are monumental in helping other people reach the summit especially at Mount Everest. So there's that community aspect to it. And when you're removed from that, it is, it's, I can understand and feel that loss that happens in achieving this huge summit, but then you remove yourself from those scenarios. And I can see, I, I've i had similar experiences not hiking this. I used to run marathons and it kind of is that same camaraderie where you're all trying to achieve this 26.2 miles and all of a sudden you do it and you're done and training is over and you're like, well, now what? So <laughs> I can I can feel that. Have you figured out what, like you said, what's normal again or trying to figure out, Harvey goes back to school, I'm assuming, like, is that helping with routine? Is that a hard transition? How are you coming down, I guess, now maybe
1: because it's been about a month, two months since you've ended the Yeah, in two months. yeah. I think we're just trying to put in the stuff that we loved about the trail back into our life. And so we're trying to get outside more and exercise. We're trying to hike and be in the woods. And we're starting to um, try to build a community around ourselves. So reaching out to friends more often and seeing people so that we can kind of bring the stuff that we love from trail back into life here.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. If it, any idea what's next? Is the next five year plan <laughs> figured out yet? Or are you still just kind of fit coming down from this one?
2: No, it's it's not all figured out yet. We definitely want to do another five to ten year uh, another large adventure like that. We don't know what it's going to be yet, but we definitely want to not go back to the way we lived before. We definitely want to do more adventures, and even if they're smaller ones, like you know, maybe maybe we need to do a, a two or three week trip next year um just so we can do something right away but you, we definitely want to try to structure our business and life where we can do more family adventures because just life is too short my father had strokes in his 40s and he just never was the same after that and you know Cassie's father passing away when she was super young it's just Life is short. You need to enjoy life. And I want to enjoy life while our son is with us. They say 90% of your time with your kids is before they're 18. Once they're 18, you only have like you know, 10% left yeah. uh, of your time with them. So we, we want to maximize it. And this trip confirmed that, that that's what we want to do.
0: That's awesome. I really appreciate it. I think all those insights are really helpful and inspiring. I think so many families are afraid to do the thing that's not normal. <laughs> that's to go yeah. beyond normal, to do something that's so outside their comfort zone and when people ask you now about the trip, do you, they ask for advice? Like, do you see more people interested in doing the trip or are they interested in taking their kids? I do see some of the interactions you've had. I know there was another person, a young person that completed the trail at the, around the same time. Is that is that helping build that community for you or is that um, still developing?
2: It's definitely still developing. You know, there's definitely people we, we realized through this adventure and, and we went to a a long distance hikers association conference just a couple weeks ago that, that there are a lot of families like us all over the country, not many in our current community though. So it is kind of inspiring to know that people are out there. Now we just got to find them <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we can spend more time with them. And, and what you were saying earlier about, you know, it, it's so scary to, to do this. You know, people might think that it's not scary for us because we have already done. It. I mean, we literally took seven months off and hiked across the country, but now that we're thinking about maybe doing something next summer for two or three weeks, like something so short compared to what we did, I'm like, oh, how can we do this? <laughs> and I'm still scared. Yeah. Uh, it's like we're starting all over again. So it's, I don't know if that ever goes away, if you can ever truly change your mindset where everything is possible always. But that's something we're still working on is, is how to kind of change our mindset to believe that we can continue to do adventures throughout the rest of our life.
0: Yeah, Josh, you mentioned that and I didn't really ask about that. We talked a lot about the physical aspect of training for trail. How did you end up taking seven months off of work to do this? Was there a strategy (laughs) in place or is it still kind of putting the pieces back together?
2: Well, well, the strategy is make up your mind that you're going to do it um, and have <laughs> right? that goal. Uh, you know, we, we had, like I said, almost five years to repair, maybe not quite, maybe four years of, of solid knowing what we wanted to do. And and like I said, we were second guessing ourselves the whole way through it. But we can't, We knew that we wanted to do it. So we knew a couple things. One. We had to be physically fit, so we had to train our, our son. Two, we needed we need money. It's really expensive not to work for seven months, um, as most people might understand. But having that clear goal, we started buying some investment properties, some rental properties, which helped a little bit. We started working harder and bringing in more. We were able to, you know, go out and do vacations less, so we could save more money. I mean, once we had that clear goal, it was kind of it was a lot easier to save a large chunk of money when you knew that, hey, we're going to take seven months off on this date. So by us not going on vacation this year and taking all that money and saving it or investing in it was was so much easier. It really was. So just having that goal defined years out really made it easy to save and to work harder and produce more, You know, doing some side jobs, whatever it takes just to save money. We were painting our own rental properties instead of hiring it out. Mm-hmm. We did all types of stuff to try to save money leading up to our trip.
1: And then for our house, we actually found an Airbnb manager. And so we Airbnb'd our house while we were gone. Oh, nice. So that kind of helped offset some of the costs for keeping our house.
2: Yeah. And that actually worked way better than we expected it to. Yeah. So,
1: I have so, yeah. a whole another layer of questions now. <laughs>
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just curious so how do you get even that's another fascinating thing. We're actually looking at taking a significant time off and w- that was one of the questions is like what do we do with our house? I'm not selling it. Like we're coming home. Yeah. So, was it as hard as you you said it was pretty easy in comparison to what you thought it was going to be having a manager? Is there any other advice you would give to anyone considering that?
1: Um, just scope a couple managers out and just see what they do and then have them give you a list of what they usually buy for their properties. And then you can go out and buy it yourself and set up your whole house for that. We bought a whole bunch of tubs and put all of our stuff into tubs and locked it in the basement so that everything looked like magazine ready. But yeah.
2: Yeah. We have, we put a combination lock on our basement door so that the people that rented our house out couldn't go in the basement, but the cleaning person could. Okay. And pretty much all our personal belongings were just in tubs in the basement. And then they would go down into the basement, do laundry and things like that. The the cleaners, the house cleaners that your property manager would organize. But yeah, we just bought a whole bunch of white sheets, white pillowcases, white you know bedspreads, white everything. And and they just came in, cleaned it every day. And, and it went really well. We had a uh, like three wine glasses that were broken and and we made more money than we thought. So they were easy to replace.
0: <laughs> no kidding. Well, that's awesome. I really appreciate just all the insights that you share. I I'm just going to like nudge you because I am going to tell my listeners they're going to reach out to you and I want you <laughs> to connect with I want them to connect with you. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to but I'm also just going to put the plug in you guys have an amazing story that's worth writing a book about. So <laughs> I will buy it. I want to read this story someday. I think it's a great story. But um, Joss and Cassie, if people wanted to follow up with you, they want to connect with you, they want to follow you, they want to support you, they want to give you money, however that is, what's the best way for them to connect with you right now?
1: Yeah, right now we have a YouTube channel and that's at uh, Live Sutton, that's L-I-V-E and then Sutton is our last name. And then also it's the same for Instagram. So those are probably the two best ways to connect with us.
2: Yeah. We're still learning how to um, do YouTube and Instagram off trail. It was a lot easier on trail because really? uh, we were doing something interesting every day.
1: Oh. Uh, but,
2: but yeah, we're, we're going to try to try to connect with as many people as possible through Instagram and try to build that community as well. So if anyone wants to reach out or has any questions, just send us a message there and we'd love to answer it.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been so fun talking with you, but it's also just been so inspiring to watch your story, to see this trail unfold. I felt like I was on it with you. I don't know that I will ever do the AT. So for me, it was fun to just watch and see how things developed. And I really appreciate your authenticity and just being genuine with with our audience. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, thank you. We had a great time. Thank you, Josh and Cassie and little Harvey, even though he wasn't on the interview today. Such a fun story. It was so fun having this conversation. I have 10 key takeaways for you today. Number one, Josh Sutton swore he'd never hike the Appalachian Trail after a long backpacking trip as a kid. Adventure is not something that you're just born with. While some people might be naturally more drawn to adventure, it's usually because of an event or an experience that nurtures this desire both Cassie and Josh had parents with health issues who were not able to live the life they imagined. Adventure was nurtured in this case. Number two, while living the rat race of adult life, they read the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss, which inspired the concept of mini retirements. Number three, Everest base camp experience was a spontaneous trip. However, the Appalachian Trail was a five-year planning process they worked towards. The strategy they cited was, step one is you make your mind up that this is what you're going to do. Number four, it's interesting how people told them to cherish their time with their son, and yet when they shared what they were going to do, people balked at the idea. You do not need to ask permission to adventure with your family. This is your time. These are your memories. Choose the path that you want to look back on without regrets. Number five, they started training with Harvey around age two by simply taking walks in the park and eventually not carrying him. Slowly, they built up the habit of hiking eight to ten milers. If there is a big adventure on your list, with a little training and the right mindset, it is achievable. Number six, fears and dangers can be overcome with some practice and planning. The Sutton family met with Harvey's pediatrician to discuss a nutrition plan. They practiced a 50-mile hike the summer before and practiced overnights in cold weather. They also planned their route early in the year so they would be past the poisonous stakes by spring. Number seven, there will be challenges. Both Josh and Cassie shared summit experiences after hard days that made them feel strong. While halfway might seem like you're halfway done, there's still an equal amount yet to complete. Keeping the focus on Harvey by playing games, telling stories, and making sure he was enjoying the hike actually helped alleviate the struggles that many other hikers faced. Number eight, there's no need to compare yourself to others. As Josh indicated, he thought they were going slow as many hikers passed them early on. However, Climbing in the whites, he and Harvey were a full 30 minutes ahead of Cassie's fit brother. Doing the pace that feels right for you and your family, and then look back and appreciate all that you have accomplished. Number nine, coming off of the trail has been an adjustment. They are working hard to incorporate the aspects of the trail into their life and what they liked about being on the trail. Shared experiences create deeper connections. The camaraderie of the trail is definitely hard to replicate. If I'm being honest, The camaraderie and generosity of the adventure community is actually what draws me back time and time again. How might Ordinary Sherpa help support the adventure community building and sustainable camaraderie like the experiences they shared on the trail? Number 10. Leaving work is scary. Yes, they have seven months behind them, but it's also still scary as they think about future adventures. They put the plan into place by saving money, generating additional income where they could through real estate rentals, airbnb their house, and several other DIY kind of work. Being proactive helped them put the necessary resources into place. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it inspires you to realize that it's possible. Adventure is possible, and it doesn't have to be the Appalachian Trail. I know we talked a lot about different things from training to epic adventures. It doesn't have to be epic. And yet, if you want it to be epic, sometimes I always say it's like this fast and slow. Sometimes we're going fast and we're doing the the adventures in our backyards, and other times we're going slow and we're planning for the next thing. I also think the critical element, the value that Ordinary Sherpa can bring is this community. Adventure communities are so amazing. And I hope at some point, if you have not experienced one already, that you get to connect, you get to engage, you get to meet other adventurers, meet other adventurers. We'll call them Sherpas from now on because that's way easier to say that you can meet other Sherpas nurturing you towards your summit. I hope you got value from this episode. I hope you're doing something a little bit this week to take an adventure, to get off the couch to get outside. I know we're changing seasons. I've had a struggle the last couple of weeks doing the thing. So here's my 1% challenge. What could you do this week that gets you just a little bit closer to an adventure that you're working towards? With that, thank you so much for joining me and keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us.